I know we just sang that. I'm just curious if we really understand what that means. Um, we're going to talk about that this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. We're in a series in the book of Galatians. And last week we looked at the nature of the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. The source of the gospel is God. The object is to deliver us from this present evil age. And we were witness and we bore witness of that this morning. But we learned too that this is God's will. That's his desire. That we are free. And it's only possible through Jesus Christ. And Paul's concern then was there's another gospel taking its place. So we're going to start at verse 6 and read verse 9, Galatians 1. There's some Bibles in the pew as well as on the screen. Paul says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said it before, so now say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is God's word. So Paul begins this section saying, I'm shocked, I'm astonished, I can't believe it. And you note how he worded this. He goes, you so quickly deserted him. And what Paul's telling us is, you reject the gospel, you reject Jesus Christ. I mean, note that language. And what was happening here was there were some Jewish leaders who wanted to try to bring back some of the law. We often call that legalism. And here was their approach, and it's so subtle. If you really want to follow Jesus, well, then you need to do this and that. Now, I could get into that this morning, but it doesn't matter what this and that is. And they would say, if you do this and that, then the gospel will come to you. Now, I have to think about our own generation, and every generation faces legalism. We just get legalistic in spots. And we put our convictions on par with Scripture, and we should not do that. But there are two things here in this text that are markers for another gospel. Here they are. The first is they were adding something that was not there. So it's kind of like the gospel plus. And so you had to do the plus if you really wanted the gospel. Then there was forced compliance. Forced compliance is everybody has to do it like we tell them. Now, we need to be careful here because there are things that in church, in God's word, there's a scope of disagreement on. For instance, the end times. We agree he's going to come again. We know that. But there is some disagreement on how that will come to reality. Now, I know some of you saying, no, there's only one way. Well, there's some really intelligent people that say there are possible other ways. And the only one who really knows the details is who? Jesus Christ and God. So I rest on him. I don't rest on my own ignorance. Baptism. We baptized this morning one dunk backwards. I was raised in a church, we did it three times forward. That's okay, okay? It doesn't matter 
necessarily the mode of water baptism. Take how gifts find their expressions in people's lives. And again, we're not talking about those kind of things, what Paul's talking about the gospel. And what Paul is saying here is, there is no scope of disagreement when it comes to the gospel. There isn't this variation. There isn't add-ons or take-offs. It is just plain, simple, straight up, and you got to believe it for what it is. But here's what some people were doing in his day, and this is what we do in our day as well. Let me put it this way. The gospel, and I'll put this on the screen, says, I received the grace of God. As a result, I live a good life. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is entirely his effort, his strategy, his power. And when I bring it into my life, then I live a good life. But here's what we do so often. I live a good life, and as a result, I receive the grace of God. Do you note the subtle shift? When you start saying, well, I need this, or I need this, or I have to do this, I got to make this right, that's not the gospel. And of course, the second thing here about I live a good life, there's all kind of problems with definition of good, isn't there? Because Isaiah says, all our righteousness, all our good works is as filthy rags. But what Paul is saying here is order matters. There's a structure to the gospel. And it cannot be distorted. It goes back to the issue of authority. Now think about the Bible for a moment. It's a divine book. Amen? It's God reaching out to us, and so we submit to his authority. But there's a subtle shift today, and we say, well, if the Bible is a human book trying to define God, then it becomes nothing more than a book of our ideas about God. And when people start adding and taking away and just giving misinformation about what God says, that's what they do. They reduce the divine book to a human book. Let's learn from the past for a moment. I don't know how many people have heard of St. Augustine or Augustine, but he lived in a time of cultural and political upheaval. He was converted to Christianity in 386 AD. Rome was conquered in 410, so you know what was going on in the city. It wasn't really nice. But upon his conversion and upon studying, he said there are two cities. He says, one is the heavenly city, Christ is the king, it's made possible through the saving work of Christ, the gospel. In this city, he redeems and reorders our loves so we can love God and serve others in love. He said the other city is an earthly city. It's not marked by God's love. There's a lust for power and domination. It's a result of sin. People seek their own good over the good of others, even though they claim they're there for the good of others. And he writes, as Christians, our primary allegiance is to the heavenly city. And we will not find ourselves at home in this earthly city because we're pilgrims. We're sojourners. And our destination is the heavenly city. And so our hope cannot lie in the earthly city, but in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. So here's our calling then. This is the calling of the gospel. We are called to live in the earthly city, but realize our citizenship is in another kingdom. Now Jeremiah writes this to a group of people that were captive... In another country, they were taken from their home, they were taken from their families. And here's what he says in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. It's interesting where he says where I have sent you. Into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
And what we need today is the courage to live out the values and beliefs of the kingdom of God, this heavenly city, while being wholly present in this kingdom. This is the gospel. Now, let me go back to a verse I used last week. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Here's what it says. Paul writes, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Of And it doesn't say it's a power or it's some power. It is the power of God for salvation. Salvation delivers us from this evil age to everyone who believes. It's the power of God. Now let me focus on the word calling in our text. It says Jesus called us into this gospel. Now calling in our world means something very different than God's world. It means something very different in the heavenly city than the earthly city. Think about a parent. And if you have kids, usually at least once a day, you call them for supper. And usually when you call them, they say, coming, and then nothing. (laughs) Why? Because they're wrapped up in whatever they're wrapped up in. And there's times that you have to literally physically go after them, pick the little ones up, put them in their chairs at the table, okay? Now, in the city of God, when God speaks, let's go back to creation for a moment. When he said, let there be light, there was what? Light. When Christ said to a storm, peace be still, what happened? It was still. When he told Lazarus, come out of that grave, what happened? Lazarus came out of the grave. See, this calling, this word of God, it is power. And here's what we have to understand. When we invite a different gospel into our lives, we invite a powerless word, not a powerful one. And the gospel is the only thing that will deliver us from this present evil. It is the power of God. Amen? Amen. So what are other gospels we wrestle with today? You know, Paul's other gospel, I think that many people switch the order and create add-ons that are related to their experience. And and so we have this legalism that just kind of lays under the surface. And there's a long list of traditions and experiences that we hold on to as assurance rather than Christ. And we start saying, well, you know, I don't do these things, therefore I'm a Christian. Or I do these things and therefore I'm a Christian. Has many faces. But a major one I think we wrestle with in American culture, and I'm using this as a catch-all, I think in America, we have a consumer orientation of the church. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. You can list health and wealth in that, that if I'm a follower of Jesus, then I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, and everything's great. We have celebrity leaders. Now, I don't know why we want a celebrity leader when we have the king of kings and the lord of lords. But we'll show up at a rally for a celebrity leader and we'll never end up in a church on a Sunday morning because we don't want to come and worship to an audience of one. We're into stuff. I just put down here buildings, bands, and clothes. (laughs) You know, they have a great band. And and did you see their facilities? I mean, look at the cool coffee shop. And again, I'm not being negative on these things, but so often we rely on these kinds of things for what we call growth rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ changing lives. You know, I love the fact that we had two people baptized from the gatehouse this morning. You know, we have people that every Sunday morning... They go pick people up. I mean, think about that, because this never would have been possible. And I'm grateful to those people. 
Five warning signs. I ran across this this week. Five warning signs of those who propagate other gospels. These are red flags. So if, if you see this, you can kind of say, okay, I better just start investigating this. Here they are. First of all, they contradict scripture. I mean, when they flat out say, well, you know, did God really say that? No, he didn't. You can sit there and say, okay, red flag, other gospel, it ain't going to work. Adding or removing scripture. You say, isn't that the same thing? No. It's, it's like contradicting. You just kind of think that doesn't exist. Here it's like, okay, this exists, but you know, we, we need to add this on or we need to take this away. Claiming special knowledge. You know, this is a big red flag for me when people come and say, well, you know, God told me. I'm like, yeah, well, how is it measured with God's word? Well, you know, understand that this is today and that's then. I'm like, okay. So when people start claiming special knowledge, they're claiming, well, number four, they claim a different source of authority. And I've heard some crazy things in churches about authority, that this word is no longer our authority, but rather this person over here who claims to be a prophet or a priestess or whoever. Then last one, you know this one, don't you? (laughs) Follow the money. The love of money has captured the church in America. I mean, we got ministers now making seven figures. They live in multi-million dollar homes, sometimes have as high as 10 cars to put in their 10-car garage. I know one that had 12 cars only had a 10-car garage. I felt sorry for him. (laughs) And, you know, it's like all of a sudden we got caught into this whole dilemma of, you know, more money, the more spiritual, the better. And I'm like, we've lost our way to another gospel. I mean, we know outside the church follow the money. You talk about social justice movements, environmental concerns, health issues. And, you know, I I counted this past week. I got four emails. I get emails week after week after week from a Christian organization that offers to help me to get more money from you. Think about that. You you bring us in, and we're going to show you how you can raise the level of your giving. I'm kind of like, well, here's my thinking. If I love Jesus and love his church, which isn't perfect, I'll give out of a loving heart and a generous spirit because of what Christ has done for me. I mean, if I, if I truly understand the gospel, I'm going to be cashing in because if, if you're investing in the stock market, you know what happens there. But you invest in this heavenly kingdom, what you invest in is some of the stories that we heard this morning. And I'll put my money there a lot more in my retirement account. Now, other gospels inside the church, I think they're secondary other gospels. Things that we place our hope in instead of Christ. And I get it with those who are not in Christ, but I don't get it when Christians put their hope in this. Of course, two in our day and age, one is politics. You know that from both sides. They become the savior of America, the savior of the world. And we want this government to rescue us from this present evil. And you know what the present evil is? It's the other party. I mean, that's all we do anymore. In 1981, in Parade Magazine, going back in time for those people who used to get a newspaper and they had the little Parade Magazine Center, it's when the moral majority from um, Jerry Falwell's in full swing with politics, Billy Graham was interviewed. And he's asked this question in reference to Jerry Falwell and what he was doing. Here's what Billy Graham said. I told him to preach the gospel. That is our calling. I want to preserve the purity of the gospel. 
Now, he was speaking out of his own experience because if you study his life, he got involved in politics back in the 70s and it hurt his ministry of the gospel. The other in our day and age is gender ideology. And let me put it this way. We today are playing God with our children and we're allowed to say who lives and who dies, mold them in surgery to images that we affirm and to me, it is so Frankensteinish of us. Now, I, I could move on and talk about more, but I want to move on. Here's what Paul's saying. If you're not following the gospel of Jesus, everything else is another gospel. And we need to hear what Paul says about this because he says, you know, in reality, there isn't another gospel. We may think there is, we may preach there is, we may follow something else to be our savior, but it really isn't the gospel. There really is no other way to be rescued from this present evil. And there'll be people who attempt to distort that word there. means to reverse. It means to turn inside out. And then he goes back to the question of authority in the text. He says, listen, if I or an angel, if an angel shows up, comes down, does an interview on all the major networks, and he says, listen, I just want to start a church, be the pastor, and this angel did all the angel stuff that angels do, but if they don't preach the gospel, Paul says, let him be accursed. Then he talks about himself. He says, listen, big A apostle here, Saul Jesus. I'm one of the original ones. He goes, if I do not preach the gospel, call me out, let me be accursed. And here's what he's saying. The church does not judge the gospel. The gospel judges the church. Again, back in verse 9, he says, let him be accursed. And it's a harsh word. It means to be condemned. But here's what we need to remember. The gospel is the will of God. And the will of God is to deliver us from evil. And preaching another gospel, no matter how nice it feels, no matter how it makes sense to us, no matter how large of an audience it draws, no matter how much money it makes, any other gospel leads people down a path of destruction. They will be cursed. I mean, just listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, those are the religious people of his day. He says, Hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. They got to be just like them, you know, the forced compliance and all the rules and regulations. You make him instead twice as much a child of hell as yourself. I say to that, Wow. In Matthew 24, a little later, he says, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. That's what other gospels do, okay? They cause, well, let me read on. Many false prophets will rise and lead many astray because of, and because lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold. So you follow another gospel, you become very uncaring, you become violent, you become hateful, and you betray people. So what Paul is stressing so much is the unalterableness of the gospel. It cannot be changed. It should not be changed. And like many others down through history, Paul says, I will give my life for this gospel. We call them martyrs. Why? Because the gospel leads to true freedom. And every other road leads to renewed bondage. We call that idolatry. So let me give you this suggestion. I'd like you to take some time for self-reflection this week. And I'm going to be a series. I think there's five questions here. We'll go quickly through these. Ask yourself, where's another gospel captured my mind and heart? Okay? 
Think about that. Pray about that. We believe God answers prayer and he will tell you. Where have you said, did God really say? (laughs) What false teachers have you aligned yourself with? What excuses have you made to alter what you know to be true? A lot of times we play the blame game there. Where have you given your heart over to another? That's really a question of authority, a question of truth. You know, back in the 80s, I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to close with a song. Back in the 80s, there was a classic line in movies. And there was always this couple breaking up or divorcing, and there's all this drama, the whole movie. Then the closing line, and all this nice music was playing, violins, everything else, and people talking in tears, and people say, isn't that so sweet? And then one of the persons says to the other person, I love you too much to stay. And people go, oh, you know, isn't that so sweet? And I sit there and said, are you crazy? But, you know, they, they caught the emotion of the story. They caught the emotion of the music. And people say, just, oh, isn't that wonderful? I mean, think about the lie. Now, I feel this is the sentiment of many Christians today. And let me explain. In the name of love, we do anything but love. Because our actions are part of another gospel that enslaves us and other people. And we take something biblically sounding and turn it into our own gospel. And Paul tells us, no. Why? Because the truth matters. The truth will set us free. Let me pray. Father God, um, I appreciate those who shared their stories this morning. You know the depth of those stories. And I just pray that you protect them this week because Satan is never happy when your word is declared, when you're and a testimony the gospel is given. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, you watch over them, you give them strength, whatever comes their way. And I pray for us as a church, Lord, with all the distractions, all the idols, everything that goes on, that we are not distracted by another gospel, that we remain true and we preach the purity of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. Help us, Lord. Uh, We want to make a difference in this world, but it's a difference that only you can make, not us. But as we humbly bow before an audience of one, we ask that you use us in ways that will even astound us. But thank you, Lord, we can worship here. I thank you for everybody here that um, is following you. And um, we're just grateful for what you've done. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we worship.